New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Total Soccer Show as we delve into the mailbag for our latest batch of listener questions. Today, we're reworking the EFL Cup. We're asking if Big Ange has hit his ceiling and we're debating the worst haircuts in soccer. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today in a gruesome twosome, Graham Rutherford. Howdy doody. Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you? I'm looking forward to talking about football haircuts today. And I was trying to think out of the four of us, obviously the other two not being here today, but out of the four of the usual people, who who had the worst haircuts when we were young? I, th- I think I have to be a contender. I had some absolute shockers. I have a bit of a shocker right now. But I also reckon, when I was thinking about it, Ryan, I reckon you had a Beckham Mexican or something along those lines when you were a, a younger a younger chap. Yeah. So I'm going to say between 16 and 19 is when I had my wildest do's, Graham. Um, okay. I had the whole Beckham style curtains at one point. Oh yeah, uh, which was uh, which was <laughs> quite something. Uh, then they they were gone, and then I went transitioned directly from that to fully bleached Eminem style. Yeah, yeah. yeah the bleach was that. the bleach was a popular. You know the peroxide. The old peroxide bath was popular when I was. Uh, when I, when I was at school, I had like stripes and uh, different patterns on my hair as as, as well. Yeah, I did, I did the whole yeah. thing. And I'm, I'm, I've done it again now. I haven't quite gone as far as dying a night tick into the back of my, my <laughs> head, but I did that when I was younger. See, I'm, you can pull it off, Graham. The um the thing, when I when I was 18 with my friends, we all went away on a vacation to like a beach town in the UK. And um we all decided to bleach our hair at the same time. So we all turned up with crazy. Ah. We'll all have bleached hair. Romania like, 98 we're... style. Exactly that. We were very much inspired by Dan Petrescu and co. Um, and I vividly remember I went into like the hairdressers with a friend of mine. We both got it done simultaneously and then the others got it done elsewhere. But leaving the uh, the barber store and a guy in a truck leaning out of his window, pointing and <laughs> laughing audibly at the both of us as we left. Uh, I'm, I'm reeling from the fact you went to hairdressers to get this done in Scotland. You just get your head dunked into a sink or, or a bath. You with, you can with tell that bleach and yeah oh, wow wow well that's what I did that's what I did but I didn't go to hairdressers you can probably tell to be honest but I didn't go to hairdressers to do this uh, on your own too. like did you get uh, spousal assistance yeah Lucy helped me and laughed okay. uh, as well while she was applying it but yeah just just do it yourself doesn't it look good. Excellent. Good stuff. All right. Well, as you mentioned, Graham, uh, Taylor and Joe are out for this one for varying reasons. Post MLS Cup. It's and, like a uh, horror film that we're getting picked off one by one. But yeah. every, every scene, someone gets taken out. Don't open that door, Ryan. Don't open that door. There's some behind it. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was not one of our ghosts behind the door. Um, <laughs> but before we went on air, Graham, I have to let this one out. Uh, you revealed that you're part of a very particular community. Oh, no. Would you like to share 
with No, I don't want to share it. This is why I don't talk about it on the show. I don't want to share it. <laughs> okay, we won't, but let's just say Graham really likes Disney Parks and he's over 18. Yep. Yeah, that doesn't make me a Disney adult. It just makes me a Disney Parks enthusiast, and that's why I won't be, well, not on the show at any other point this week, is to okay. indulge that enthusiasm. Very good, very good, Graham. I just, I only bring it up, not to tease you, because I think uh, Disney adulting is a perfectly valid thing. I like going to Disneyland. Disneyland. I know for people who go as adults and they like it a lot. But the way you referred to it, you said, oh, I'm, I'm going to um, um, DPL. Is that what you call it? D- DLP? DLP. DLP. Disneyland Paris. We, we call it DLP in our community. Just made me laugh. <laughs> well, we do. <laughs> we, we don't have time to say the full name, Ryan. We've got things to do in the community. Yeah. Too busy lining up to go on the teacups and such sure yes yeah very good <laughs> very good okay well in, uh, i hope you uh, are and have been and will be enjoying disneyland paris graham thank you very much for uh joining us here on these listener questions listener if you have any listener questions totalsoccershow.com slash questions is where you can pose them and if you would like to support this endeavor uh, patreon.com slash total soccer show is where you'll find our bonus content we've got episodes there we've got videos there maybe even some from dlp mm, maybe we'll see and also access to our discord where all the cool kids are hanging out in the discord disco uh let's get graham shall we to our first listener question of this episode it is from carter smith who says there are a lot of rumblings about discontinuing the efl cup which, uh, for clarification, we'll call the League Cup, shall we, from this point? Greg? Sure. Is that... Yeah, good. Uh, what would you all think about replacing it with a straight knockout competition Ooh. involving the EFL, that's the championship to League Two, so the second to fourth tiers, along with the SPFL and leaving the Premier League clubs out of it? This would eliminate the Premier League clubs whinging about the Cup's effect on fixture congestion, but with adding in the old firm in particular, it would still be a desirable broadcasting Product. This is an interesting one, Graham, because obviously um, the consensus is that, yes, it's a third, a tertiary competition for English clubs is the League Cup. Uh, mm. Many other leagues do not have that. Um, and it adds to the fixture congestion. But if you were to take out the Premier League clubs and make it just for EFL teams, which strictly would be you know, the EFL below the Premier League, the breakaway Premier League, and you could add in some Scottish teams as well, that might detract from its uh, already dwindling dwindling interest so where do we stand on on, yeah. uh, on this one well i think that's the first thing to mention is i definitely think the efl cup or the league cup or carabao cup or whatever we're calling it it is on its last legs as a relevant competition and and, and maybe that's a shame because it is a competition that has history of course it's been around for a long time but it feels like it will be and maybe it already is a victim of the expansion of european football in particular which is just more interesting and certainly more lucrative to, to the big clubs in, in, in the premier league so I'm certainly open to doing something different with it. I'm I'm not convinced this is the answer though. Um, so with competitions, I I always think, what's the purpose? I mentioned this with with League's Cup when we were talking about League's Cup. If you win League's Cup, what does it signify? So if you win the World Cup, you're the best international team in the world. If you win the Champions League, you're the best European club team. If you win the Premier League, you're the best team in England. What what would winning this kind of Frankenstein monster of a competition with lower league English teams and SPFL clubs what 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 would you what would you be the champion of? It's just it's just a little bit muddled, and I'm not I'm not sure I um I'm not sure I can get on board with that. Even though well, I would like to do something different with it, I'm not sure this is the answer. That's an issue itself in the League's Cup, isn't it, Graham? It's like it's it's the Porsche Boxster of uh, of competitions. You, you you're not you're not in the nine eleven. You're in the Boxster. Still a, it's still a trophy, but uh, it's not the big one. 
Yeah, I don't know the Porsche uh, car lineup well enough to fully understand that <laughs> reference, but I'll, I'll take your word for it that it's the Porsche Boxster of football competitions. Yeah, it's a it's it's a little bit weird. Like, what what is the purpose? Obviously, League's Cup. There's overlap between the Concacaf Champions Cup, but it doesn't. Then it's only Liga Mekis and MLS. And um, but then you've got the Campeones Cup, which is Le- MLS and Liga Mekis competition. So, I think this competition would air on or would verge on similar territory, where it's kind of like the F- FA Cup, but not like the FA Cup, and it's kind of like the Johnson's Paint Trophy Cup or the EFL Trophy or whatever that's called, mm. but not really like that. It's a cross-border sort of Frankenstein monster of a thing. Yeah, so there are there is the the FA Vars or Vase and the FA Trophy, which are lower league contests that we have already. So this would just be. If if we were to take Premier League clubs out of it as as a step, maybe yeah. that would that would well, I think, bring I, I it think into the same bit, territory. Yeah, I think that's a better idea. Is just um, get rid of the Premier League teams entirely. And at the moment, so the the I think it's called the EFL Trophy right now. I did Google it. I googled the Johnson's Paint Trophy because that's what it was called for ages for, for yeah. a long time, wasn't it, Ryan? Yeah. Apparently, it's not called that anymore. It's called the EFL Trophy. Google tells me. But the the Championship and Premier League teams they just enter youth teams into that competition, so it's only full strength for League One and League Two. Yeah. Um. So I just say. I mean, it's called the EFL Cup. Just make it a trophy for EFL teams. And that means your championship teams or your strong League One teams are going to have a, a chance of winning a, a major trophy. The other the other suggestion I've got, not to blow my own trumpet or anything, but I actually do think this solves the, the whole issue. I mentioned this on the show before. Just have the teams that qualify for Europe drop out and make up the numbers with teams that finish top of the National League. So if eight Premier League teams are in Europe take the top eight national league teams to fill in the bot from the from the bottom up and that way the european teams don't have the fixture congestion and all the others have a genuine chance of winning a trophy uh, or at least the others from the premier league and maybe top end of the championship have have a possibility of winning a trophy i think that solves the issue because the european teams aren't going to complain about not being in the efl cup it's not very lucrative you don't make much money from it and they'll be thankful for the extra rest i think that solves the issue there we go. I like that. And you could give it a name that would please all the people who voted a certain way in an EU referendum a few years ago. <laughs> it's the anti-European uh, stance of this trophy, Graham. I like that. Very good. The Brexit trophy. Just, the just Brexit. say it. The Brexit trophy. <laughs> there it is. There it is. But do we do we agree? Do we both agree that a tertiary competition, a third competition for Premier League teams is a bit unnecessary? As we say, there aren't none of the other top five leagues do that, right? I don't think so. I, I think France had a had a, a third competition that maybe they got rid of. They got rid of in it. recent yeah. in, in recent years. There isn't one in Spain. Spanish football, obviously, something that I watch quite a lot of. There's not one in Spain. So yeah, I think it's pretty rare. Obviously, MLS has like four other cups that no one really knows what they mean. But yes, English football in Scotland we have a similar thing. That's just because we copy what England does. I was going to ask you about that, right? Because obviously, part of this part of this proposal is that the old firm clubs and the SPFL clubs would be involved in this. Mm. I, I'm not sure, from a Scottish point of view, I'm not entirely sure that there is a great desire for Scottish clubs to be involved in the cup competitions. Um, we actually already have a cross-border competition. The League Cup in Scotland t- has teams from the rest of the UK and Ireland at a lower level. They enter um, into that competition and it's not very popular and those teams from the rest of the UK don't take it that seriously. So I, I don't think there's a huge desire for Scottish teams to be in English competitions, would is there any like would that appeal to English fans in any way to have Scottish teams in their competitions? I think there's a novelty factor in it because you don't see it very often. Like a, a you know a Celtic Liverpool game would be pretty cool, right? There's certain fi- certain old old firm teams taking on bigger bigger Premier League teams that would. But, have but an below appeal. Celtic and Rangers, like if Wimbledon got Livingston, 
yeah in this competition that surely isn't um, no creating and to be much fair, enthusiasm it could also be detrimental for traveling fans because it has an extra distance to go and to a different country for yeah. a domestic competition which could be challenging so maybe maybe we just invite celtic and rangers like there was proposals to do that for the premier league at one point wasn't there there was, but then the EFL clubs weren't very happy that those teams were getting invited into the top flight, and then Celtic and Rangers didn't really want to reapply to... I think you have to reapply to the National League if you want to join the pyramid. I don't even think you can go in at League 2 level, so um, they oh. weren't willing to do that because they didn't want to play like Boreham Woods and all those guys on the way up to the Premier League. The welcome to Wrexham teams. Very good, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Dorking Wanderers and their charismatic <laughs> manager. I, I swear every episode of Welcome to Wrexham, they're playing Bromley every single week, uh, it seems to be, uh, in, in that show. Uh, but maybe not so much now they are not in Bromley's division. I digress. Thank you very much, Carter, for that uh, question and thought exercise. I think our feeling is, nah. But also, yeah. let's... The, the There's something company. weird with it, just not this, I think. Yeah... Weird with it, as in scrap it. That would be my vote. <laughs> <laughs> or that. There's enough yeah, soccer. I generally think, like, to be sincere, I know I'm a bit curmudgeonly about this kind of thing, but there is too much soccer in general. And I don't think uh, we need a third competition. I'm realising that as I'm making my Euro 2024 plans and then factoring in the fact that Copa America is happening at exactly the same time. I'm not entirely sure how we're going to cover those tournaments at the same time next summer, but that'll be fun. Fun times indeed. That sounds like a tomorrow problem, Graham. But for today, let's go to another question from Kevin Lafollette, who says, Why and when did soccer decide to have a team player man down due to a red card ejection? No other sport I'm aware of does such a thing. It's a good point. I was thinking about other sports that actually do make you play a man down. Rugby, I know, does. Yeah, rugby would like a word. They do rugby this. is the is the one where and I suppose technically like tennis if you get ejected but then it's well game if you over. get if you get Novak Djokovic <laughs> at the twenty twenty US Open then yes yeah. essentially you can get a, a a red card that is very rare though and only happens like twice a year um yeah rugby has a similar sort of rule although they also have a sin bin but the referee can send off players for the the full match as as well and in in soccer um I'm not entirely sure kind of what kevin's getting at here because you can trace red cards or at least in my re- research you can you can trace them all the way back to 1881 when the laws of the game were were being codified so it, it has always been a part of the the modern game the option to send off a player and eject them from the match what i did find out that i, I didn't know i'm 32 i wasn't around in the 60s and 70s but interestingly it wasn't until the, the 1970 world cup that physical yellow and red cards were used to indicate the referee's decision. Until then, the referee just sort of communicated to a player that they'd been booked or sent off. So I wasn't aware that, I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, but I wasn't aware that um, the actual physical cards hadn't been part of football for all that long in the grand scheme. Yeah, Black and white times, it made less sense, I suppose, Graham. I I suppose sincerely for colour television broadcasts in 1970, they were starting to come through, so it made more more sense from a broadcast Yeah, and if you went to a game in person um, as a fan, it was also in black and white, I believe. That's correct, yeah. Back in those days, yeah. Yeah, and you had to wear a hat. That was the law. Um, But yeah, I was reading up, it was Ken Aston, the referee, who apparently was responsible for it. Uh, He saw, um, he was inspired, Graham, by stopping at traffic lights and noticed that they had different colours on them and they integrated different things. There's no green card at the moment, but um, 
anywho, that was that was the uh, the origin of it apparently, and apparently it, it was inspired from the previous World Cup, the nineteen sixty six World Cup, where there was a bit of a trouble in England's game with Argentina. They were sending off some bookings, but when you're in the stadium, it wasn't clear what was happening or why, and a card became sort mm. of a, a better indication for that kind of thing. But yeah, so trouble between England and Argentina, bit of argy bargy. There we go. C- can't believe that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, apparently, post 1966, it escalated, Graham, for various reasons <laughs> as well. Uh, so that, maybe that was the origin of that too. But yes, yeah, so I think you're quite right there. So the the uh, the 60s and the 70s was when we got the red card, yellow card But but in terms of ejection, that's that's pretty much always been a thing, right? Yeah. As far as I can see, certainly in my lifetime, it's always been a thing. And as I say, it seems to you can trace it all the way back to. The codification of football in in the late eighteen hundred eighteen hundreds. Um, what do we think about red cards as a punishment? Because when I think about it, it does seem quite heavy handed in soccer. Obviously, there are some times when it when it feels justified when someone tries to snap a player or there's a bad injury or or maybe when there's a cynical taking down of 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 a player who's through on goal or something like that. But th- there are also lots of times when it just sort of spoils matches. So would we would we prefer? if teams had to replace a player who was sent off for certain fouls that didn't endanger an opponent or change the the course of a match or something like that. So you send off the player still, but that team is allowed to bring on another. So you're punishing the the individual player, but you're not spoiling the match or necessarily punishing the team as a whole. Well, there's been talk of that kind of thing lately, hasn't there? Sin bins have come up again, haven't they, in in the news in terms of uh, whether we should introduce them or not. But I think... Instead of a simbin, I, I like your line of thinking there. An orange card, which is ejection with replacement rather than ejection without replacement. I kind of like that because, yes, yeah, it's not it's not as if you do two sort of semi yellow card fouls and it's kind of a harsh red card. An orange feels more appropriate in that circumstance. If you like, I don't know, yeah. like Conor Gallagher last weekend or whatever, those kind of sort of double yellows. Uh, Was that not could, the one in Billy Gilmore? Actually, yeah, that's a bad one. Sorry, that, that was, was, a, a, was a double red card. Double actually, red, double yeah. red, triple red. Actually, uh, <laughs> lifetime ban. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, you know that kind of sort of two, two. You can end up with two soft yellows and see yourself walking and not be replaced. That feels like an orange yeah. red card scenario. And as I say, and look, maybe this is a neutral's perspective. Um, but how many times do you watch a game? There's a red card early in a game, and you think, oh well, that's that match ruined, and it kind of spoils the whole game. So yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind that. I found that suggestion, um, I'm not sure if someone tweeted that at us at one point or not. It might have come from a listener, but I quite like that suggestion. Okay. Well, we'll use our powers and great powers we wield, Graham, to uh, make sure we influence FIFA and UEFA and all the relevant bodies to make sure this change is made. Excellent stuff. We're making progress, Kevin. Thank you for your question. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to try and contain Graham's excitement as we talk about Ange Postacoglu back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one... It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. You've got the gruesome twosome, the British boys answering your questions today because the two good ones weren't available, Graham. Sorry about that. That's just the way it is. Harsh it but is. true. Harsh but true. Cam Tate has been in touch all the same. Who says, has Ange Postacoglu reached his peak at Tottenham or can he join the elite tier of managers cam saying your peps your clops your ancelotti's and so on what i what i'm interested in graham before you get to the meat of the question is what does it take to become elite and when is someone considered elite so let's say we're putting Mourinho in the in the elite bracket did Mm. he become elite at porto what point in his career did he suddenly enter that bracket uh, yeah, it's a it's a difficult one to define, isn't it? Um, I kind of think of managers in, in in tiers. So right now, Klopp, Pep, Ancelotti, and I would add Diego Simeone are probably tier one managers for me right now. Mourinho certainly was a tier one manager, but it's kind of fallen from that level now. Relegated. The, relegated, yeah, as such. Um, I would say Mourinho became kind of a tier one manager when he had success at Chelsea. Just because I think you have to achieve over a over a prolonged period of time, over a, over a number of seasons. So by that time, he's won the Europa League and the Champions League with Porto. He's come into a Premier League that's dominated by Wenger and Ferguson at that time, and he's made Chelsea the absolute dominant force at that point. I think he's a an elite level manager. So he's not elite at... when he's lifting the Champions League trophy with Porto. Uh, the... I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong because that like is you know Claudio Ranieri elite when he lifts it with Leicester. Probably not, right? Yeah, probably not. That felt like that felt like a more of a flash in the pan sort of thing, though. That that Porto As team was, had, yeah, Porto had great was a flash players, in the pan though. too, though, right? Well, kind of, but they won the Europa League or whatever it was called, the UEFA Cup, the season before, and they had like world class players who went on, went on to have like Ricardo Carvalho and 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 Deco. There's a number of players who used that as a springboard to have excellent careers, world class yeah. careers beyond that point. So Leicester was a bit more of a like a. Porto was the last time we had a true upset in the Champions League, but not even still, I think Leicester City is more of a fairy tale. It's very difficult to define what's tier one and what's elite and everything. Um, and I think that's why this is a difficult question to answer, because I do think that Postacoglu is already up there as one of the best managers in the world. I don't think he's tier one, because as I say, those three people that Cam mentions and Simeone as well, that's my tier one. I don't know if he'll ever get to tier one, because if, as I say, if you think about what those guys have achieved... Uh, they're generational figures who have won so much over like decades in some cases like Pep's 
in Pep's case, you're talking about like 15, 16 years of him being at the very top of European football. Mm. Postacoglu is 58, right? So that's something that he's got counting against him. He's come to the Premier League. He's come to this level pretty late in his career. And he, he talks about that often. And he's very interesting to listen to on that subject. He talks about how he's had to fight his way up from Australian soccer. And then he went to Asia. Then, of course, he's gone to, he went to Celtic. So it's taken him a lot longer than Pep, for example, who was a world-class player. And his first job in management, his first senior job was Barca B and then it was and then it was the Barcelona senior team so Postacoglu hasn't had that luxury the other thing that makes me think that that maybe Postacoglu won't get to that level is that it very much seems like Spurs have appointed him as a project manager and I think Postacoglu has embraced that idea as well so I think he's looking at this as a three-year four-year project so I don't I don't think he's likely certainly not anytime soon to use Spurs as a springboard um, unless he's completed some sort of mission we saw this at Celtic where it felt like he'd taken that team as far as he can at Spurs maybe like winning a Premier League title would embolden him to make a further step beyond that um but yeah I think he's that kind of person he'd want to he'd want to complete something before he he moves on and that might be idealistic and and naive for me to think that um but I think managers like Pep and Klopp are are a bit like that as well you look at Klopp at Borussia Dortmund he kind of left on his own I know that final season is not great but he leaves on his own terms Pep has never been sacked as a manager he kind of leaves clubs at convenient times um so I think Postacoglu will want to achieve something at Spurs before he even thinks about moving on so you mentioned the idea of a potential springboard do we think this is his ceiling? Cam asks if he's reached his peak at Spurs. Not necessarily his peak, but is 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 Tottenham the ceiling for a manager of him if he's not in the elite bracket? By fifty eight, potentially. I think the age thing is 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 a is a real thing. You know, I can't really think of. I mean, how old is Ancelotti? He has. He's probably almost certainly older than than um, fifty eight. But obviously, he's. People are talking about yeah, sixty four. So Ancelotti. Is, is, a, is six years older than Postacoglu, but people are talking about him coming to the end of his career and possibly this being his last season at Real Madrid and going to take on the Brazil job, where obviously international football, there's there's less day-to-day um, duties for, for, for him to do. So I think the age thing is 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 an issue for Postacoglu. But if you ask it, if the question is, is Postacoglu good enough to be at the very top of management, like at Real Madrid or a Barcelona, or a Man City, or whatever, my answer is yes. I do think he's one of the best managers in the world right now. And I do think there's a scenario where Pep Guardiola leaves City um, at the end of his contract in 2025. Maybe Postacoglu is the guy to step into that, because I can see some overlap between the two, and Pep speaks glowingly about um, about Postacoglu. So maybe if he takes Spurs into the into the top four and wins a cup or something with, with Spurs, or does well in the Champions League or something, that might be... He might be able to sell that as, right, that's my accomplishment in Spurs, and now I'm going to move on to, to a club like City. I, 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 I wouldn't rule it out. That's interesting. I never thought about that. But I will I will couch the uh, Pep praise uh, in in in, re- in reality in that he will praise a manager who he's just beaten 7-0 and say they're amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, the best team I've ever faced in my life. Just incredible. Yeah. That's yeah. what, you know, beating them 7 or 8-0 in the, in, in, in the FA Cup. Barrow Town, who uh, seem to be there, <laughs> RB Leipzig on the domestic uh, trophy uh, platform. Okay, that's interesting. So, what would let's 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 play this scenario through twenty twenty five? Does Postecoglou get that job if he doesn't win anything between now and then, or is he in the running? Um, I don't think it necessarily counts on him winning something, because I think like 
trophies, if we're talking about like a Caribou Cup or an FA Cup, I don't think that will sway Manchester City's thinking on who is a suitable replacement for Pep Guardiola. I think they'll look at a bigger sample size than that. They'll look at style. Whether I don't think they'll want to throw... They're not going to go and get Simeone, right, after Guardiola. They're going to want to get someone who can use what Guardiola has built and continue it. And I think Deserbi is someone who is already on the radar. That seems to be the reporting is that Man City mm. are kind of already looking at Deserbi and thinking he he would he would make some sense. And Guardiola, we've spoken about this before. Guardiola is has like a love affair with Roberto Deserbi. He wants to kiss him on the mouth. He talk, the way he talks about him. So he hasn't talked that glowingly about Postecoglou. But yeah, I think Postecoglou would be in this similar sort of 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 realm, particularly if he proves it in the Premier League, right? Because there is that element of of the unknown if you're hiring from outside the Premier League. Um, to a certain extent, some people overblow that element of, of the uncertainty. But if you've got Postacoglu mm. achieving things at Spurs in the same league with a similar style of play, I could see him being on the shortlist, yeah? Okay. Uh, and one more on Postacoglu, Graham. Do you think there was just a special alchemy when he walked in at Tottenham this season? Could he have gone into Burnley or another club and produced similar magic? Is it him or is it the, the alchemy of the, the, the squad that he's received? What What is it about what the situation we have at the moment? Well, obviously, he needs he needs some players that can absorb his ideas and 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 play his way. Bur- Burnley of the past, not so much. Like if he'd taken over Sean Dyche's Burnley, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure he would he'd be able to to do what he's doing at at, at Spurs. Um, so yeah, it's it, but the boring answer is it's somewhere in the middle. But I do believe that you could you could drop Big Ange into pretty much any club in the world, and I think he'd be able to to offer something. And timing counts for a lot in management, and it kind of feels like. His approach and his style and everything that he is as a character as well, it, fe- it, it feels very much of this time, if that makes any sense. Like yeah, the style yeah. of football is very much in vogue. People have, it, it used to be the case that um, football fans just liked managers to be like straight down the middle, straight edged, not really offer much character. And now football fans like people like Klopp to kind of embrace and build around as a character. And Postcoglu's got that as well. So it very much feels like he's of his time. And, and maybe that is the thing that could push him up to being a tier one manager. Okay. I've just thought of one club, Graham, that you could drop him into and they would not improve. Man United. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I mean, because no one will. No one will yeah, improve them. I, I'm tempted to say he will improve it, but you, but you're absolutely right. That club would ruin would ruin any manager. So yeah, don't go don't go to Manchester United, Big Ange. Okay, yeah, that is not the uh, path to the peak to the elite tier. Uh, Ange, let us uh, let us tell you that. Thank you very much, Cam, for that question. Let's go to Gritty for the Union. All right, all right. Guess where this person's from? Uh, this isn't another VAR question. Not really. Anyway, can you define? Clear and obvious error for me, asks Gritty for the Union. This is the real reason that Joe's not on this episode, to avoid this discussion. (laughs) Uh, Do do you like talking about VAR? Uh, I wouldn't say I like it. No, I just think it's kind of unavoidable at the Mm. moment. It's such a big talking point. Okay, so the term clear and obvious error... Uh, I, I've got some comments from someone who I mentioned on uh, last week who works at Pro, the professional referees organization, but we can just chat a little bit about our understanding of that term. It is one that's used quite often, and perhaps it's applied to criticize VAR in certain circumstances. Yeah, so for this, I went to Dale Johnson, who, in my opinion, is better at explaining things, all things VAR than anyone else. So he's a, a journalist who works for ESPN. I found an article by him that asked in the article, what does clear and obvious mean? So um, the answer to that was obviously of interest to me with this question. And he says, 
If the VAR believes the referee has obviously misjudged an incident, meaning it did not happen how the referee describes, this is grounds for a review and for the decision to be um, overturned. It's not more clearly defined than that, or at least that I could find. And I went and looked through like the IFAB laws, went and looked through VR protocols. Um, and this is one of the key issues with VR. And, and it's a fundamental flaw because you need to have some form of threshold, right? But how, how do you define that threshold? At some base level, there has to be some subjectivity over what should be looked at and what should be allowed to, to fly. So I think this is a... I think this is an issue with VR. Originally, I took when when we were when they were talking about bringing VR into the Premier League and all these leagues, they kept using this clear and obvious term. I, I took it to mean a referee has got like the wrong player. Like remember the Graham Pole one at the World Cup where he gets the, the he books the player three times yeah. or a, a case of mistaken identity or maybe a player who's just so obviously dived there's no way you could ever think it's a penalty. That's the sort of thing that I thought VR was going to be brought brought in for, um, but obviously now we're in a situation where games are being fully re refereed through the the VR. So it kind of feels like clear and obvious doesn't apply anymore to be honest it's tricky isn't it because when we're yeah litigating handballs that have come off chests and slightly touched an arm in an unnatural position that's beyond the remit of clear and obvious isn't it essentially that is as we say litigating something from multiple angles to try and make a decision yeah i mean there's always going to be that subjectivity i think back to the the probably the worst var call that i can the one that got me most angry which is the scott mctominay free kick against spade even on Twitter, there were, a, I mean, the overwhelming opinion was that the goal should have stood. But even on Twitter, there's a couple of, I would say, troublemakers, potentially, who are saying, no, that's the correct decision. You know, that goal should have been chalked off. So it, you're you're never really going to get a unanimous opinion on what is clear and obvious. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, as I say, at a base level, this is a fundamental flaw with VR is you're not going to have that agreement. It's very difficult to define. It is indeed. So um, as I mentioned, uh, I was speaking with someone at the Professional Referees Organization who look after the referees in Major League Soccer and across North America. And they sort of have conference calls with the referees every week. Like they they had a big call with them before, like MLS Cup Final and stuff like that. So uh, asking them about clear and obvious error, here's what they said. In very simple terms, the VAR is looking for clear evidence the call is wrong on the field. And this person said the best way to imagine it is if you are the coach. You want to see footage that shows why you've had a goal disallowed, as an example. You want to see something you can't argue with. So that's both the process and the definition. Uh, but they added that education's needed around the term to define what exactly is clear and obvious. And as we've discussed, it yeah. kind of is subjective as well, isn't it? Well, that bit, find something or, or it's an incident that you can't argue with. Mm. Show me one of those in football. I've yet yeah. to encounter, encounter that. So that, that's a bit of an issue. That's true. And they added something I mentioned on last week's show about um, complaints of it taking several minutes. And some say if you can't see it straight away, then it's not clear and obvious, which, you know, by the smell test, that's logical. But it's not always that simple because some checks you might have several different things you're reviewing. So you might have three reviewable elements. elements. You might have a foul, yeah. you might have an offside, you might have a goal, or all these different things to check simultaneously. So it's not as simple as, well, that's not night and day after five seconds, so it's not clear and obvious. So... There's nuance, yeah. I suppose. It it does feel like we're kind of on the brink of a reset of, of VR. I don't think it's going to be it's going to be um, abolished or anything like that. Although I, I now think there's more chance of that happening than I did a, a few months ago. But let's look ahead to next season. I think VR will certainly be around next season in the big competitions. But there's been reporting that IFAB and FIFA and the Premier League they're all having reviews 
um, between now and the end of the season to figure out how to reset VR. And I think I think things like clear and obvious might ultimately be removed from the wording of yeah. the laws. It feels like that's something that's complicating matters. So, look, I don't have much faith in FIFA and IFAB to clarify the laws of the game, but if that is their intention, I would hazard a guess that that line will be for the chopping block. Yeah, and I, I do believe that it won't be taken away. I think it's here to stay, but what I do think is it's going to get a lot better. Uh, with like semi semi automated offsides, with three D modeling, with the way AI technology is pushing on, it feels like inevitably this will get smarter, it will get quicker, and maybe we won't have a bunch of guys sitting in a in a warehouse, uh, you know, outside the interstate making these decisions. It will yeah. be it will be more robotic than that. One one part of the proposals, I think this was the Premier League proposals. They're going to discuss this. I I did like this, and I think this would would help streamline things a little bit is they're going to bring in the automated offsides that we've seen in the world cup and the champions league which i think they are they are so much better than what we've seen in other competitions where it's uh machine learning or, or rather it's it's computer um system that's deciding and then telling the vr and the referee whether a player is offside or not but the referee will have some kind of watch or some kind of device on them that if the offside is by more than 50 centimeters it will immediately tell them that it's offside to prevent that scenario that we get all the time in games now where we know a player is offside but they have to complete the play right so that if by some miracle the player is onside they can call it, you know, they can use VR and they can allow the goal to stand. But how many times do we see a player who's like two feet offside and we have to go through the motions of, oh, this player's having a shot now and maybe this will be a goal. In future, the referee will have a, some sort of indication this player is quite a bit offside and they'll be able to stop play immediately. I think that okay. would be a lot better. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that I think we're better off of VR on balance. I think we're better off having it than not having it because the kind of discussions we'll have, if it's taken away... These discussions aren't going away. Controversies aren't going away. They're still going to happen. There's still going to be things that aren't black and white happening on the field. We'll just have less empirical data and and help, basically, to decide those things. So Yeah, I, I agree with the second part. I am very much on the on team abolish VR at this point. <laughs> I, I do agree, though, if you got rid of it, people, there would still be discussions about referee and decisions. I, I just find those discussions a bit mm. easier to swallow when it's like human error. I think that's just easier to accept as a football fan rather than getting wrapped up in the process, which has been the case with VR. I mean, it's still human error, though. That process, those people talking over microphones from Stockley Park or wherever they're doing those reviews, it's still humans at the end of the day, isn't it? We're not letting Skynet make these decisions at this point. <laughs> no, maybe maybe that's coming at some yeah. point in the future. But yeah, without going too long in this discussion, because I imagine it's probably a bit tedious at this point, um, yeah, still, still humans making decisions, but when you provide them with so much technology, it's hard to get your head around how a lot of the times they'll still come to the wrong decision. Yeah. Whereas if it's in the moment, it's much easier to accept, okay, maybe they saw something differently, maybe a player was blocking their, their view. I just, I just find that an easier... It's easier for me to move on from that as a, as a football fan and think, right, well, they just made a mistake, whereas VAR complicates that. Fair enough. And uh, I suppose my we will put this to bed shortly, but the one thing that does get me about VAR, I don't mind it being here, but it does accentuate the fact that the game is different at the top level. One of the most beautiful things about soccer is it's simple. There's goals at either end. You put the ball in the back of one of them. You can play it in a playground. You can play it with, you know, a balled up sock or, you know, you can. there's lots of ways to do it. It's universal. But from the top level to the second tier, the game is actually not the same because it's mm. not officiated in the same way. 
So the further that the further down the road we go of technology, the further it actually becomes from the game that you and I play, and it becomes a different yeah. sport. That's what I don't like about it. It's not consistent. It's not simple and universal anymore. You're a you're a lower league fan like I am, so you've you've seen those differences. That some of the tackles that that are allowed to allowed to fly in Sterling Albion games, you would not get away with in in the Premier League. There's a guy that I sit next to who just shouts "Play on!" the whole match, even if someone has been like decapitated. He shouts <laughs> "Play on!" That's, That's the kind of vibes you get. Yeah. That's a lifestyle games. choice at this point. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I, I know I know just the person indeed. All right. Thank you very much. Gritty for the union. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're talking about dynamos and we're talking about bad haircuts. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammates. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate, and when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Total Soccer Show and our listener questions. We go now to Nick Foreman, who asks, what is the history of the club name Dynamo or Dynamo? There are Dynamo clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Croatia, etc. and so on, as well, of course, as in MLS. Are they related or is there a social political background in this name or this prefix? I suppose we could call it, Graham. Thanks for all your work, says Nick. Uh, Unsurprisingly, Graham, this term has some Soviet origins, does it not? 
It does. So here's the origin story I found. I love this question because I didn't know the answer to this. And so I went down the rabbit hole and I love anything to do with that. That's linked in football to like social or uh, political stories. So the origin story that I found, the the first club to have the name Dynamo was Dynamo Moscow, um, which got that name in 1923. The idea was that Dynamo Moscow had originally been a team of the electricians union. And so Dynamo was a name to reflect that, like electric dynamos. And if you look at other Russian team names around that time, they represent other unions or industries. So Locomotive Moscow was the team of the rail rail union. Uh, CSKA Moscow or Cheska Moscow was was the team of the military. Apparently CSKA means something to do with the military in in Russia. Um, And then from there, you have other clubs throughout the Soviet Union imitate Dynamo Moscow because of them being successful and being a big club and also being a club at the heart of like the, the Soviet regime in Moscow. So it was almost like other parts of the of of the Union paying homage to Moscow by naming their team after the Moscow team, the most successful Moscow team. Um, I'm not sure how much of this is linked to the Houston Dynamo, though, because uh, <laughs> I, find, I found the marketing from when they announced their name and they said, Houston's the, the energy capital of the world. Dynamo is a word that represents energy, movement, pace and quickness. And then there was an additional quote that said, Dynamo is a word to describe someone who never fatigues, never gives up. So there you go. Totally makes sense. Uh, do you think the people of Texas realize their team's name as a secret communist homage? Yeah, all those all those commies down in Texas loving exactly. the Dynamo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that must be it. That must be it. But it's it's just one of those sort of slightly inexplicable, like Real Salt Lake, isn't it? Like, there's no link to it at all. It's just this sounds vaguely. Well, I think there's I think there's more of a connection with this than there is Real Salt Lake, which is essentially <laughs> they just thought, oh, would you want to be like Real Madrid? Cool, yeah. No link to them at all. We'll just be called Real Salt Lake. I think originally the idea was there would be a link between Real Salt Lake and Real Madrid, but it didn't materialise and they just kept the name. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's similar sort of thing, like Sterling Albion, the name Albion, West Bromwich Albion. There's a number of Albions. Albion just kind of means Britain in a kind of loose term. Um, yeah. So... It's just kind of copycats, isn't it? One team, one team does it. They enjoy a bit of success. They become popular. Another team launches. They think, oh, we quite like that name. We'll just use that as well. Yeah, it's it's also a bit like uh, Bayer, the prefix in Germany, like Bayer Leverkusen or Bayern Munich, which essentially means kind of from Bavaria. But there's also some links that it could. There's there's a word Bayern or Bayern, which kind of means like to ring a bell. So there's lots of different. If you can go down a few etymological paths, but like a BMW, the car is like a Bayerische Motorwerke. I think it stands for like the Bavarian Motor Company, essentially. So there's there's lots of interesting ones like that, and essentially they do come from socio political origins. Yeah, I yeah. I love stories like that. Um, you mentioned Bayer. Is 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 Bayer that's the one that because Bayer with Leverkusen, right, is the name of the company that owns them, like the pharmaceutical company. Well, Bayer it? is a pharmaceutical company, but my I think they might have Bavarian roots. If I perhaps I'm mistaken, or it might have come from. Etymologically, right, okay. it might have come from the other path, which was like bell ringing or something. But because there's not another buyer, right? Like they're all. But am I wrong about that? There's other buyers. There's other Bayerns, but there's Bayern, there's Bayerische, there's ba- there's diff- different ways of doing it, essentially. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Cool names. Fun. Who'd have them? Uh, let's just let's just call everything FC, shall we? That's uh that's the easiest way. The MLS that's- way. Yeah, that's how we do it in North Carolina. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Nick, for that question. One final question for this episode, and it's the biggest and most important one of all from David M. 
Which young starlet has the worst haircut? Is it Alejandro Garnacho or Harvey Elliott? And bonus question, which players past and present are in the terrible haircut hall of fame? Uh, Addressing the first part of the question, Graham, it's Garnacho, surely. See, to me, both Garnacho and Elliott's hair is is, is bad, but I think that might just be that we're old. Because when I leave the house, which doesn't happen very often, but when I when I go to like, what did I do? Go to pick up a Nando's, and I am exposed to the youth of today. Um, they all have these haircuts that I would have, I would call like bowl cuts. Is what I would have called that yeah. when I was when I was a teenager. These very much seem to be in vogue with the young people of of today. Listeners should Google a Rangers player called Ross McCosland. Um, he's got the best example of this haircut that I've ever seen. The young people all have haircuts like that. So I think it might actually be us, Ryan. Um, alternatively, we could all be Principal Skinner and think it's the, the kids that are the kids that are wrong and, and, and not us. Have you Googled Ross McCausland? Is that I'm just looking at it do? now. Yeah, that's a, that's very Garnachian. Garnachian? Mm. Yeah, I like that. Uh, but you're right. That is, if you go out on the streets, that is the young people. They dress strange. They have strange haircuts. I don't recognize any of the songs in the top 100 anymore. <laughs> It's just we're old, right? It's the passage happened. of time. It has happened. For what it's worth, I think Garnacho's is 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 worse because it's com- compounded by the eyebrows, which is actually the the worst bit. And that is something I used to. I didn't do this often as a teenager, and I didn't do it. At, he's got like three lines in each eyebrow. I only ever did like the one single line in in the eyebrow. Um, mm. So it's something that I used to do when I was young and stupid, and it was a bad look back then. And it's uh, I think it's still a bad look. So I think Garnacho is a worse look than Harvey Elliott. All right, we need some pictures of you with your shaved eyebrows at some point on the feed, please, Graham. That's a, that w- something we definitely need. Now, this is interesting. So if we're going to look at the Hall of Fame of terrible haircuts, we can argue that Garnacho doesn't have a terrible haircut because it's something that a lot of people are doing. So perhaps we should look at the haircuts that didn't catch on and still remain terrible. And the one that stands out for me is original Brazilian Ronaldo with the sort of uh, shape at the front of his head, which he had what in the late nineties at the was yeah, it two thousand the half moon at the front. So that was that ninety eight or two thousand two kind of that was two thousand two World Cup. They right. did that for right. So that safe to say was not repeated by anyone else afterwards, or probably wasn't done by well, anyone you before. Ought, you ought to have been at my uh, my school for the two thousand two World Cup if you think nobody did that. that Are you serious? Cup. Yeah, it was like not a huge number, but I seem to remember. I can think of one person in particular who a friend of mine who who did the Ronaldo um, haircut. I'm not sure if schools, maybe it was just my school, the schools I went to, but like haircuts were wild. Like people did wild things with their hair when I was uh, at high school. Um, that was just, I think that was, I was just leaving primary school when the 2002 World Cup was yeah. on, so I'm right on that cusp. But yeah, I remember people doing the Ronaldo the Ronaldo haircut. But it is. It, it was a it was a bad one. I definitely remember people doing the Beckham same World Cup. I definitely remember people doing the the Mohawk. He had one where it was like I'm not sure the difference between the Mohawk and Mohican or what you call those haircuts, but um, he did one a little bit earlier than that where he shaved everything apart from like a strip up the middle. Mm. I don't remember anyone doing that one, but I, I do remember for the 2002 World Cup he sort of had the hair, but then the blonde bit in the middle spiked up. I remember loads. I think I did that. I remember loads of people having that haircut. Yeah, we at my school we were not allowed that. We were not allowed to spike our hair. In fact, what we got sent, we got sent home. And this was when like some forty-one were big when I was at school. Wow. So like, yeah, yeah, that was a whole thing. Um, I'm trying. I'm thinking back to haircuts of that era, and I can think the best hair I can think, which was out there. Do you remember Abel Xavier who played for Portugal? Oh yeah. 
uh, he had sort of um, sort of plaited or dreadlocked hair, but he bleached mm. it, and he also bleached his eyebrows blonde as well. And I don't think and, that, and, and a goatee. Some, yeah, yep, yep, you're quite right. So the whole look was complete, and I don't think there's many people on planet Earth who could pull it off, and he 100% did. <laughs> yeah, his his uh, his look was more memorable than him as a player. I can't think of yeah. anything that he did really as a player, but I, I certainly remember what he, what he looked like as a player. So I think that's up there. Um, Ronaldo 2002 World Cup is up there. Do you remember Rodrigo Palacio? With yep. the Anakin Skywalker rat tail, I just thought that yeah. whole thing wasn't was it off that... center as well. I think. Yeah, it was t- terrible, and also like surely a surely a safety hazard if you're a if you're a player. I remember when I was when I used to play, the referee would come and check if you had earrings or studs in your ears, and the the idea being and that like, it could get caught. No, I never did that. I never did that one. That is one thing I didn't do. A couple of pals did, but they had to take their studs out of their ears. Um, because the idea being that if you know you get it caught when you're running or whatever, rip your ear off. Um, the 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 rat tail, the Anakin Skywalker Skywalker rat tail felt like a like a safety hazard. I'm not sure how we got away with that one. Yeah, and also yeah, you, something for a player to pull on and put you at a disadvantage. Also, well, it's just as well he never played against Sergio Ramos because that's <laughs> exactly what he would have done. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, anyone else for the for the Hall of Fame or any other haircuts we want to diminish and make ourselves look old and fragile? We've already mentioned Beckham once. Beckham got Beckham gets a lot of credit, right, for his for his for his looks, and I think that's fair enough. The number of things that I could never pull off that he made look fantastic was, you know, frankly ridiculous. But the cornrows, do you remember the cornrows that he had at one point? They were bad. He could make most things look good, but that was an exception. He didn't he didn't look he couldn't yeah. pull them off. Not even David Beckham could do that's them. That's just a case of pulling it off, because as I say, Abel Xavier, he he would have cornrowed his hair at that point and he definitely Oh yeah, did. there's certainly it's not mm. necessarily a bad haircut. It was a bad haircut for David Beckham. There's also probably other reasons it was a bad haircut for David Beckham too, but yeah, it's uh, I, I remember that one thinking, eh, not sure. Wonderful, wonderful stuff indeed. All right, David, thank you very much for that question. And listen, if you want to contribute to that and uh, we'll talk about historically bad haircuts in the game or anything else uh, patreon.com slash total soccer show to join our discord disco uh, but for now Graham we have listened to question we've emptied the mail sack for one more week you feeling good uh, yep Ryan thank you for uh, having, I'm not sure how to respond to emptying the mail sack I'm kind of a little bit stumped at that but yes good episode thank you for doing this with me uh, thank you very much indeed Graham Rutherford and thank you listener for joining us the mostest once again patreon.com slash total soccer show to support us uh, we'll be back on the feed very shortly indeed but for now bye As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.